The song you will hear in the following episode is This City by Patrick Stump and Lupe Fiasco, copyright 2011 by Sony ATV Publishing. All Cleveland Browns highlights that appear in this episode appear courtesy of the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. And when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Feeling Dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Johnson, joined by one from the crew tonight, Jack. How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good, Tyler. How you doing? Hey, man, doing pretty good. Missing two from the crew tonight, but we're still up and rolling. Guys, we are joined by a very special guest tonight. We are joined by the Bleacher Report's uh, Brett Sebleski. Brett, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. See, it's okay, because with my size, I make up with two guys individually, so <laughs> we're ready to roll, gentlemen. <laughs> oh man yeah we really appreciate again um taking the time out of your evening to join us and i want to get into um actually an awesome article that you had last week and you were talking about nfl defensive backs who deserve to get the bag in 2021 one of those guys on the list was brown's quarterback denzel ward and with denzel ward we just really want to get your thoughts on why he is worth top cornerback money and really just dig into that a little bit more well, the first thing that's important anytime you discuss the Cleveland Browns and how they're going to approach a contract, it's very simple. And I go back to the original guardrails that Paul DePodesta set forth when he became the chief strategy officer. And under the subhead of talent retention, there's a very important saying uh, that's included under that portion of the guardrails. And it's, and I quote, identify and pay early. So when you make good draft picks and you have the talent at certain spe uh, positions, specifically premium positions, this is when you identify early and pay early. And when you look at someone like Denzel Ward, I understand there's an injury history. When he is on the field, he is a top flight cover corner, particularly a man coverage corner. You can put him on an island. You can let him play. Even if he gets beat, he has a recovery speed and quickness 
to really still make a play on the ball. He's absolutely exceptional. He's been every bit worth the fourth overall pick that they made him to be. So to me, he is an easy decision for what they should do as an organization moving forward. And furthermore, that timing is greatly important because some of the other guys I mentioned in that same article, Jair Alexander is the best cover corner in football period right now. And he's also coming due. And he's going to reset the market most likely. So you want to get ahead of it. You don't want to be paying the next guy. You want to be paying the previous guy because then those numbers start looking better. Miles Garrett was a wonderful example of this where they got ahead of it. And then all of a sudden, Joey Bosa signs his deal and his extension with the charges. And that Miles Garrett deal didn't seem as big on the back end. And I think that type of approach will be necessary for Denzel Ward considering the premium value that he'll hold moving forward. Are you worried about, because I'm telling you, there are a lot of fans out there. You see it all over social media. Mm -hmm. They do want to sign Denzel Ward, but I feel like some of them aren't willing to pay him top money because of that injury history. What are your thoughts on that injury history that he does have? Well, the only concern is the concussions early, um, but there's not a long history there. In most cases with Denzel, if you go all the way back to Ohio State, there's soft tissue injuries. Now, anytime you have an athlete that is quick and twitchy as he is, those are going to become issues because the way they're wired internally is so they're so tightly wound to be able to get the speed and explosiveness that they have within their bodies. And so if you get a tweaked hamstring here and there, that's something you can you're willing to accept. It's when you have those injury histories that have long term ramifications, whether it's a you know degenerative knee problem or a back issue or a successive history of concussions. I'm talking not just one. I'm talking multiple over years where there's there's legitimate concern for his health. To me, he doesn't display any of those things, at least not at this point in his career. I love the physicality he plays with. I really love the, his game overall. I think he was the most fluid cover corner in his draft class. And so when you think about paying him, I don't see the injury history as being prohibitive simply because of the type of injuries more so than just the fact that he's been quote unquote injury prone. And, and I think one of the big things about, you know, us talking about quarterback Denzel Ward is because obviously it's not just him that has a big contract extension coming up. We have a lot of major key players for this Browns organization. And one of the most important, most discussed one is going to be running back Nick Chubb. And obviously a lot of people talk about it. Uh, do you want to be able to give Nick Chubb the money that a lot of people think he deserves? You know, do you think that des- Nick Chubb deserves top running back money? And do you think he's going to get that from the Browns? Does he deserve it? Absolutely. To me, he's the best pure runner in the NFL. Now, I'm not saying he's the best running back because I know Tennessee Titan fans will go ape shit when you mention anything that even puts anyone on the same level of existence as Derrick Henry. But if you look at the advanced statistics, he is every bit on par with Derrick Henry as a pure runner. And when you take that into consideration, he he will des- be deserving of top dollar. Now, in his instance, you take away that premium position value that you're willing to pay for. And I'm not one of those guys that would immediately say, well, running backs devalued, you never pay one. I'm not that guy. But at the same time, you have to know where you're allocating your resources. And when you're at, you have that allocation to already to Miles Garrett, you're assuming it's going to be Denzel Ward. I believe all of us think that Baker Mayfield will get an extension as well. So there's three premium positions filled that are going to be top dollar deals. What do you do with someone, not just Nick Chubb, but Wyatt Teller as well? Um, So looking at it, to me, the most surprising aspect of the the Chubb potential negotiations is that something isn't done already. And so when I pointed to those guidelines of identify and pay early, running back's a great example of this. 
because they did it technically with Kareem Hunt with a deal where he could have got more on the open market later if they allowed him to do so, but then gave him the extension because he wanted to stay, you know, in the Cleveland area, his home, and allowing them to have the depth at the position. For me, looking at Chubb, this was a, a great example of get him to the table early and try to get a deal done so that it's commensurate with some of the deals we've seen lately. I'm talking about Derrick Henry, $12.5 million annually. Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, both in that $12 million range. Dalvin Cook, $12.6 million range. You don't want to start pushing in those upper echelons that are $15 million or more annually. And people say maybe I'm quibbling a little bit when that's 3 to $4 million, but that's on an annual basis. You have to also consider these are things that once you're paying that out, it's gone. If you If you're able to save those things, not only are you allowed to save it in the short term, but the rollover cap is becomes more effective long term as well. So all these things play into it. And so if I was to sign any of the Browns players right now, I would start with Chubb, try to get him in a fair market deal, and then go for the bigger guys later later this summer or after this season. Do you see with a deal with Nick Chubb, is it, a, is it that fo- about that four-year deal, or do you think that the Browns maybe try and look at a shorter-term deal with Nick Chubb, maybe our two- or three-year deal there? See, that's difficult because it really comes down to the individual. And people don't understand this in a lot of cases that some players want that security. They want the four to five year deals. They want to know that they're going to be taken care of. And even if they aren't on the roster four or five years from now, they have that gar- those guarantees set, uh, spaced out over time if beyond the initial signing period. Then you have players that are fine playing on one or two year deals. I don't think Nick Chubb's that guy. He's a, he wants to find a home. He wants to stay there. He wants to work. That's who he is. He, he puts his head down and he works. So I think in this opportunity, the Cleveland Browns could potentially sign him to a four to five year contract as long as it's, you know, they're not lowballing him. And I and I mentioned the numbers I think are fair for that mm-hmm. position, for that player, commensurate with top shelf players around the league. And to me, that would be a fine deal. And if he goes anywhere beyond that, then you look at that alternative, Kareem Hunt moving forward, and you draft another running back. And how much of a, of a competition do you think this really is between Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? What, what's really the, the factor that's going to decide, make that decision for Andrew Barry and the Browns moving forward? Is it money? Is it just uh, whether or not Nick Chubb wants to take a pay cut? Like, what, What's really going to be the deciding factor, do you think? Team building. And I, by that, it's not necessarily – Chubb versus Hunt, and it's not necessarily a running back needs should get paid. It's how do they want to build their roster moving forward with an eye towards their financial and fiscal responsibilities. And so when you look at it, knowing how many of these contract extensions you have upcoming and what you believe in each of those players, who's going to take priority? And in Nick Chubb's case, no one denies his ability. No one denies how important he is to the team and how successful they've been with him since he's gotten in the backfield. But at the same time, you're looking at a position where you could potentially replace him and get similar production, not the same level of player, but similar. And as such, when you consider you have Ward, when you have Baker, when you have eventually, sooner or later, you'll have Jedrick Wills as well and Miles Garrett. These are the positions you're going to pay. And if you you do not want to overpay at other positions to really put you in a position, put you in a place where 
you have to consistently massage that salary cap. And I know people bring this point up. Well, the salary cap's about to escalate. And yes, it is. The television market deals will eventually kick in in 2023. We're expected potentially 20 or more million increase to this year's salary cap after they peeled it back. But at the same time, not only will the salary cap rise, salaries across the league will rise. And mm -hmm. we'll start seeing some of these veterans taking bigger deals. And they won't be cut for salary cap reasons. And you still have to work around those numbers. And while the NFL, in a lot of instances, people like to say funny money, those numbers still have to come in under the uh, under the line once you get into that new league year. And you have to do things and make tough decisions, especially when you draft well and you have a lot of talent, it's particularly young talent who's all coming up at the same time. With Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, I mean, obviously you're going to have to make a decision there at running back. But another really component to just the contract extensions in general will be a very valuable member of this offensive line too. I feel like people aren't talking about as much as Wyatt Teller. I mean, what do you think his future is in Cleveland? I mean, are the Browns going to want to pay about 15 million, possibly 20 million a year for a guard, do you think? And he's a great example, much like Chubb, where you'd want to get it done earlier rather than later, right? Because not only did he grade as the number one guard in football last year depending how much you how much investment you have in pro football focus and and their grades and how you view them but anyone who watched him knows he played very well last season that's one year and it was one year that had injuries so if you can get him to the table early are you going to get more of a deal long run than if you wait and he plays that to that level again and that's and that's the question mark so that's why i've really been invested in seeing how they were going to handle certain contractual situations this year. And I was talking about it today on Twitter about Sheldon Richardson, where they could have done something much earlier in the process to have that relationship end on a better note. Whether you're talking about OBJ or Jarvis Landry, potentially restructuring his contracts for future years to give you the financial flexibility to start working on these extensions so that you are you can pay it out now from Jimmy Haslam's perspective and be able to fit them all under in years down the road. And with why Teller, if you get him done now, which he has one more year left on his deal, then you have a top flight guard guard at a price that shouldn't be as exorbitant because you were able to do so. And that that's really the question mark, because I know they didn't want to necessarily as a team get ahead of themselves and start stretching out some of those deals. And I understand that point of view, but if you look at it in 2022 already, even at that projected number that we've, we've seen re re uh, reported already, they're up against it. If they didn't have mm -hmm. basically the rollover cap from right now, which is what, between 15, 18 million, they would not have salary cap space. And so making those smart decisions now helps you in the long run. I think Wyatt Teller is going to be a guy that they really need to strongly consider keeping. Some people believe he could be the odd man out in, in this scenario because some believe they're not going to be able to keep all, all four of those top flight guys. With that being said, you have to choose, like Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, how long do you think the Browns are going to be able to keep that duo together? Do you think, because then they drafted Demetric Felton, who uh, we had Jake Burns on from, from the OBR, and he was talking about how he thinks Demetric Felton could actually be a possible Kareem Hunt replacement down the line. So could we only be looking at about another maybe year or two with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb in the same backfield? Well, that's that's one of the great things about what Andrew Barry's doing. He's, you can see it 
move by move how he's setting up long term whether you're talking about felton the tight end situation with harrison bryan available now you're looking at center with jc treader that's a big contract to be, be potentially gone after this season maybe nick harris moves in there immediately that, that's what good teams do when you finally reach that stage and i know it's weird gentlemen it's only been one year it's kind of weird to say the browns are a good team but they are they are they're a legitimate super bowl contender because of the talent we've seen and that should be exciting so when i look at what they're doing step by step to try to build that long-term roster around those tent pole positions that we discussed earlier. You have to question whether you're going to invest in terms in positions. Now you mentioned running back. You have Felton. Felton, I, I agree with Jake. He he can be that third down back. He can be that versatile piece where you can move him all over the field. He's a he's a slashing runner. He's he's fantastic out of the backfield as a receiver. Very natural. He needs to improve as a blocker, but that's true of any running back so we'll see how he uh, how he progresses in that manner over the next year or two but he can very well fill that role the thing is is what, one of the things i get excited about where they are as an organization is they have the right pieces in place and i'm not necessarily talking about the individual players i'm talking about the system the philosophy the connection between head coach and general manager being mm-hmm. on the same page pulling in the right direction and not fighting and having everything we saw with Cleveland Browns for 20 years. So if you have the system that they have, which is one of the most successful in the NFL, we've seen it work since the mid-90s with Mike Shanahan running the outside zone, is almost impossible to stop if you're doing it correctly. Can it be even better if you put a certain talent in it? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that it would take a gigantic step back if you pull one of those pieces, whether it be a Chubb or Hunt. I think they could find not necessarily comparative talent, but successful talent in the scheme based on what they're trying to achieve on a week-by-week game basis. Yeah, and we want to switch switch things up here a little bit. And you had an interesting tweet the other day, and we really want to discuss it a little more with you. You were talking about how it amazes you just how many people want to credit Stefanski for Baker Mayfield's success last season basically without acknowledging his rookie year or the fact that he's gone through so many head coaches and systems. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to dive into this a little bit more. How much credit does Baker Mayfield deserve for the success of the offense last year But how and how much credit do you think Kevin Stefanski deserves? I think it's a partnership, and, that, and that's what people missed when I tweeted that. It, it wasn't that I was – slamming Kevin Stefanski by any means. I mean, my God, he's the reigning NFL coach of the year. I think he did a wonderful job, especially considering the circumstances of what he had to enter, no offseason, a truncated preseason, and still got as much as he did out of that roster. But at the same time, so many downplay Baker Mayfield's natural ability. It blows my mind. And it's, it's really happened since he was at Oklahoma. He was undersized, too small, doesn't have an arm. It's like, what are you people watching? Do you not see the natural throwing ability, the, the talent that he exudes when he's out on a football field? Is he Kyler Murray? No, he's not going to run all over the place or like Lamar Jackson. And he's not six foot five, 237 pounds like Josh Allen. But he's a very capable quarterback that if you look at it statistically, has been spectacular over the last year anyways. Well, specifically the second half of last season where he graded as the number two quarterback in the NFL only behind, oh, what's that guy's name? Oh, yeah, the league MVP, Aaron Rodgers. He had the number one completion percentage when he was pushing the ball down the field. He's one of the best play-action bootleg quarterbacks in the NFL. Does he have areas to work on? Absolutely. No no questions whatsoever. Well, you want to be more consistent in that short to intermediate area. But at the same time, just his growth that 
considering the adverse circumstances that he's gone through from the highs of potentially being offensive rookie of the year, I still think he should have won it. I think he shouldn't have gone to Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. To the utter ineptitude through Hugh Jackson to Freddie Kitchens and the disaster that was the entire organization at that point, overcoming all those shortcomings we discussed with Stefanski and starting to realize his full potential. And it, to me, when I tweeted that, it had nothing to do with Stefanski. It was everything about give the man some credit. Give the quarterback, if, as it would be in any other situation, it seems like, give the quarterback credit for his high level of play because he deserves it. He earned it on the field. And, I mean, I, I've heard way too many people, you know, just, just spouting, oh, Baker's a, a system quarterback that he can only operate in the system. But, I mean, can if I you, cut you off real quick? Absolutely. Every quarterback is system quarterback. Exactly. If you're doing it the right way. <laughs> Exactly. If the system works coaching. to maximize talent, then that, of course it's going to look like the system is, is building the quarterback. But it's the quarterback working perfectly within the system that was designed for them. And I, I feel like that's such a big misunderstanding that so many people have. It's not that uh, Stefanski is you know holding up Baker. It's that Baker has found somebody who has designed a system that works with him. It's not going to – you know do what it what happened in 2019 where everything just wasn't meshing correctly at all. And, and honestly, this is such an exciting time for Browns fans. And I don't know why we're all so negative because really this is going to be the first time we get to see Baker have a consecutive year with a head coach, consecutive year working on the offense. Obviously we've already seen that he's been working with Stefanski all in the off season. So what are your expectations for how Baker is going to, you know, look in this offense going into his second year in 2021? Top 10 quarterback, if not even better, to be quite honest with you. Now, I mean, look, he he basically was in that fringe already coming off of last season, statistically, the way if you're looking at it from that point of view. But I, I've been a big believer in his ability long before the Cleveland Browns drafted him. And it just be happenstance that they did select him number one overall because I wasn't sure if they would. To me, and I wrote this at the time for Bleacher Report, that he was the best quarterback in that draft class, and it wasn't close. I didn't know if John Dorsey had the cojones to take a non-traditional quarterback with the number one <laughs> overall pick, and thankfully he did. And I'm going to be frank with you. If you look at the rest of those quarterbacks in that class, obviously we can just dismiss Josh Rosen. But Sam Darnold already on another team. Lamar Jackson, MVP. Well, what did they do? They built the entire franchise around him and made it – to where the scheme accentuates his abilities. Is he a system quarterback? No, he's the freaking league MVP, or was. Josh Allen, how many years of continuity and stability has he had with the same head coach and the same offensive coordinator? They keep adding pieces around him, and all of a sudden, look, lo and behold, he becomes a top-end quarterback. And so I, I think Baker was the right guy because he had the mentality to overcome everything that was going wrong in Cleveland to get to where they are now. And now he's to me, he will only get better because he has everything you want in the position. Other than the fact he's not six foot three, six foot four. That's what I want in the quarterback. I want a guy that has his competitive nature. I want guys that has his natural arm talent. I want guys that can move in the pocket. Now he's obviously not a Lamar Jackson, but he can create with his feet, whether it's in the pocket outside the pocket or take off and make a few plays. So I only see him getting better and better and better and being one of the uh, firmly entrenched as a top 10 quarterback in 2021 and beyond. I I completely agree with you there too. I think him in another year of Stefanski's offense, it's only he's only going to improve. I mean, he ended the year as statistically a top 10 quarterback for sure. And it's going to continue in 2021 bearing obviously uh, just health, I believe. But do people not understand 
that when a quarterback is going from different head coaches, different systems, that that's not going to affect maybe their confidence level and maybe just how they operate in a system. I mean, like Pat Mahomes, obviously he's a great quarterback, but he's been in Andy Reid's system this entire time. I mean, if he was in the same situation, Lamar Jackson, the same situation as Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen, the same situation, how would those guys, I mean, wouldn't those guys still also potentially be going into a, se- a season with question marks? Because people don't understand a quarterback needs, needs that same system to really progress as a player. Do people, do you think, just not understand that part of it? I do. I, I think they we have a, mat, a Madden mentality to the way people will look at football because, you know, most people don't understand the game beyond that level. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not trying to be a prick about it, but <laughs> it's just the way that you, you grow up playing that video game. You think you can plug and play, and that's the way it works, man, and it doesn't. You, you guys have seen me on Twitter, and I say it so many times until I'm blue in the face. Situation matters situation matters i'll never forget sitting down with an nfl scout and he looked at me and said with all the mitigating factors that come along with being a professional athlete i have no clue how any of these guys are successful and that's always in the back of my mind when it comes to the draft when it comes to young professional athletes because you don't know how they're handling a new city. You don't understand their family situation. You don't know what it's like to move and go into a new locker room to absorb a new playbook, what they were asked to do before, who they are as individuals, you know, and so on and so forth. And all these things factor into their success or failures on and off the field. And we can look at a Patrick Mahomes and, you know, he was raised by a longtime MLB pitcher. He was ready for the professional ranks. And even though he was ready, People still question his ability to play at the NFL level. And then he sat almost a full year in his first year. Now, I'm not saying that every quarterback needs a a city year because I think that's counterproductive. If a guy is ready, he's ready. But if you have an opportunity to sit and you can learn and you have – and you're in a perfect situation with the right coach and the right system and you get to learn and you get to absorb everything, that's ideal. Not every guy gets placed in ideal, and that's what makes Baker's – improvement year in and year out, at least through the first three years. And people can say there's a valley there in year two, but there was still plays in year two where you, he, you could see the flashes. They never left. They were there. They just didn't have anywhere to go because of the way everything was set up and so horribly constructed. And so to me, that's why I always stress that because it's not just one guy out there trying to do a job. Football is the greatest sport in the world because it's 11 men working cohesively down in and down out to make a play work. And so that's why you need to have all the right people, all the right systems and the right coaches around you to fully maximize your potential. Really just going along with Baker Mayfield, obviously he is one of the big guys that the Browns have to sign to a contract extension, either this offseason or next offseason. So you're the GM of the Cleveland Browns. Are you extending Baker Mayfield this offseason or are you waiting till next till next year? I'm doing it this offseason. And the reason – I wasn't that guy at first. And I'll give full credit. And I know you guys follow him out there. Jack Delphin does a great job with a lot of the salary cap stuff. And mm-hmm. he turned me around on this. If you look at it from a logical standpoint, slow play, you got the fifth-year option, you got a franchise tag if you need it. But if you let it go and he becomes the quarterback, I assume we all believe he will be, you're going to lose tens of millions of dollars by waiting as an organization against your salary cap because he's going to earn that money. And that quarterback market's only going to escalate. Yes, I understand Patrick Mahomes. No one's going to surpass it anytime soon, but the next tier down, how guys are going to be paid 
coming through the ranks. And so if you can get him now at a, and again, I want to say this is going to term you here a lot, team-friendly deal that puts him in a higher echelon but not into that top echelon, you get it done as soon as possible. I, everyone says, well, learn from Carson Wentz and from Jared Goff. Well, I have because I saw their situations and how things didn't work out. You can't replicate what they went through, nor can you directly compare them to Baker Mayfield as individuals or situations. So you do what's mm -hmm. best for your team in the immediacy to make you the best possible organization moving forward. To me, that's signing Baker Mayfield down, getting it done, and you have stability at the position that has, that has just racked your franchise for 20 years. What do you think, though, Brent, that well, what would be a friendly deal in this kind of situation? Because we, we also have to look at Lamar Jackson's coming up, uh, Josh Allen's coming up. And if we, if we don't pay Baker before then, you know, it could be looking at like $45 million a year. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's why you're looking at those numbers. So you have Dak at 40, Deshaun 39, Russell Wilson 35, Goff 33.5, Aaron Rodgers 33.5. So Right now, based on where he is, considering where that market's going to go, based on the names you just stated, because we know those two that you just stated and Allen and Jackson, they're going to get paid. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to be at the Patrick Mahomes level, but the high 30s into the 40s is definitely within play. So if you can get him in a mid-30 tier, to me, that's a great deal for the organization. It's a good deal for him, obviously, too. That's, that's life-changing money. But at the same time, it's not where it could be. If he balls out this year and Cleveland goes as far as they did in the playoffs, if not further. So he he's your guy. You are fully committed to him as an organization. Show that. that I don't see a problem with that whatsoever. And in the long run, you're saving yourself money. Could he ask for four, for 40 or more? And do you think he would get that if he asked for that? Right now, no, I don't believe so. At least the organization would scoff at it. I think this is a, a situation where, again, team-friendly deals. You want something that, that – benefits you as a franchise and not necessarily put yourself yes you're still getting ahead of the curve but at the same time how far ahead of the curve are you really if you're at the same price point that you would likely be after this year or right around after once josh allen and, and lamar jackson signed their deal so that's the gambit you're playing you got to figure out if you're going to pull the trigger now or later we know they've spoken so to me it makes more sense to get it done now because there's no argument he's the guy no, there's no one within the organization that feels otherwise. So if you feel that strongly about it, it's time to get yourself in a place where you don't have to worry about quarterback for a long, long time. Well, and we see we see the debate all over Twitter. It seems like there are analysts and um, people that cover the team close to the Cleveland Browns, whatnot. Talk kind of it's kind of like an argument here, the argument for and the argument against it. Why why would people? really be against this idea more so i mean yeah you could risk it becoming like a carson wentz situation uh like what happened in philadelphia but i think the eagles were a mess for other reasons and then you come in here and if you believe baker mayfield is the guy he won you your first playoff game in 20 years what is really the argument against signing him long term at this moment it's getting stuck and considering the alternative <laughs> considering where the organization was for so long the alternative of being stuck with a bad contract rather than, you know, cycling through 8 million different quarterbacks, I'll take the bad contract. I, you joke about the local media. I don't know. I'm still blocked by some of them because I called them out for, <laughs> for saying the Mayfield and Manziel comparisons were lazy. No names mentioned. Tony Grossi. So, um, 
I it's it's to me it's, it's people being apprehensive just to, to the point of being apathetic because of what they saw for so long. Like, does that make sense? That mm-hmm. Yeah. They're always looking for the worst instead of seeing what's right in front of them and how good of a player he's really been in a short amount of time. And the Manziel to Baker comparison, I remember as soon as the Browns drafted him, the, there it. weren't there were people that did say that. And I just truly – I didn't see that at all. I just thought it was such a ridiculous – I agree with you, though. That is a lazy take. They weren't. They weren't the same at all. I mean, they were completely. They were completely different players, especially they, in their play styles too. Yeah, absolutely. And anyone that watched either of them that would go beyond a superficial look of how they played would understand this. But you know what? Six foot quarterback moves around a little bit. Short little chubby white guy. Well, okay, same quarterback. Yeah. No, it drove me bonkers, man. To the point where, like I said, I started calling people out for it because it was so lazy. So just pathetic and how to cover your draft cover and just your draft coverage in general. And, you know, luckily you know, we, we joke about it. A lot of people came out publicly and said they were wrong and kudos for doing so, but do the work mm-hmm. the first time and you wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah. And the Browns did, we did end up losing a guy who was a valuable member of this defense last year. Sheldon Richardson signing with the Vikings. The Browns revamped this defense. Andrew Barry brought in John Johnson, the third Greg Newsom, the second, uh, Jeremiah Wushu Koromoa, he brought in, I mean, Anthony Walker, uh, Troy Hill. I mean, he just a ton of, oh, Clowney as well. Just a lot of really impactful players that are going to be a huge help to this defense. But losing Sheldon Richardson, how's that impact this defense going into this season? Well, I've gushed this entire time about where I believe this organization is going. I think they're set at quarterback. I think they're set at head coach. I think they're set at general manager. Does not mean they do everything right. It does not mean that every situation is handled perfectly, and this is a great instance. People can check me on this because I, I actually tweeted it today. I've been saying since January that the Cleveland Browns should approach their high-priced veterans and start the communications for redoing their contracts, right? And I was taken aback that we didn't hear more scuttlebutt about that. Now, eventually there were some, but not to the point where it was so early in the process that you could have handled – these things when when a clowny becomes available and you get, you go to a Sheldon Richardson as a professional and a man mm-hmm. and say, look, we would like to rework your deal or we'd like to release you and resign you. That never occurred, at least to the extent to the, the line of communication where it became feasible for that to occur. And Richardson basically admitted it publicly today that he was not happy <laughs> with the way the Browns handled it. And it was very late in the process. Mm-hmm. And once he got out in the free agency, there was not a lot of money to go around for a caliber of player like him. So if you're looking from an on-field perspective, there was a lot of all or nothing with Sheldon Richardson. Either he was making a play in the backfield or he was getting blown off the ball. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that he played a ton of snaps. But he also finished number one in the NFL last year among defensive linemen in total tech. A guy that was a leader in your locker room that could collapse the pocket, penetrate, and disrupt. And he was a solid player. Was he worth the $12 million that he was going to make this year? No. But if you open those channels to communication very early in the process and been open and honest with him about your potential moves down the road, then he could still be on your roster. It, to me, it wasn't an either-or situation. It wasn't Clowney or Richardson. You could have fit mm-hmm. both, but you had to do so in a manner to where they were both open to that idea. Obviously, the second Richardson, the way he was handled, decided he was gone. And where did he go? Where he was very comfortable with a system and a coaching staff to where he knew he could be successful. I think they mishandled this situation. Is just it should have been 
communicated far earlier in the process than waiting as long as they did, and it lost them a player they would like to have retained. Joel Petonio, J.C. Treader, Jarvis Landry, are those some of the guys you're talking about as far as restructuring, or do you have some other names in mind as well? No, you're you're hitting the nail on the head. Look, I said from the beginning, as soon as the offseason or as soon as the season ended, I'm calling Sheldon, OBJ, and Jarvis and saying, look, this is what we're thinking. It doesn't mean that they had to get something done and they could have turned it down if you were if you were in discussions for a restructure, but at least you opened them line that lines of communication. And I was actually surprised that we didn't see any deals get restructured, <laughs> at least from that point. Um now, it's it's interesting here in the next year or two with the offensive line. I mentioned Treader because he could potentially be gone next year. I think it's uh, over $7 million. And you have his potential heir apparent already on the roster, Nick Harris. At least I believe he can be that guy. Joel Batonio is another name because he's a, t- a top five paid guard. Uh, you're going to try to re-sign Teller. Conklin is, has one more year left. We'll see how he does Well, after this year. So we'll see where his, his contract escalates into one of the top offensive tackles in football. Austin Hooper is another one, and it's surprising to say that, but w- let's see how David Njoku continues to develop in the system. So do you pay Njoku and move on from Hooper or vice versa? And these are all interesting conundrums that Andrew Barry has to figure out and why it's a, a, such a difficult line to walk for him and why, to me, it made more sense to try to stretch this out and get stuff done earlier so you're set up more later. They decided to wait to see what opportunities arose and struck then. In this case, as I stated, they lost Richardson because of it. And we'll see how it goes from this point into 2022. Do you see when you're talking to uh, Jarvis and OBJ, possibly about restructuring, do you see them both back here next year? It's really difficult because we're talking over a $30 million cap hit. <laughs> it's a very big number. You can get what you need from the position without having superstar players there. Yes, it's nice, but have we ever fully seen OBJ in a Browns uniform be that superstar? No. thousand yards, you know, two seasons ago, that's that's okay. Jarvis Landry has been more inconsistent than I would have liked to have seen. I'm, I'm not someone that's adamant that he needs to be moved, but at the same time, the inconsistency, especially with the drops, have been – problematic and disappointing and so can you start building up your young wide receiver core can you can you move forward with a donovan people's jones maybe re-sign hollywood you got anthony schwartz you know you got guys with talent how are they going to develop in this system and can they be the guy and that's the question mark if they can i see no reason to pay what they're going to pay at that position and that's really the question mark is if you're going to be able to move on without them and still get similar production. I think you can, but that's a hard sell, man. Uh, again, it's one of those things that Browns fans truly hate to discuss. And if you ever bring it up on social media, you'll get absolutely roasted because fans just don't want to even put that thought in their mind. But I definitely agree with you, though. You can't have, at least as of next right now, with everyone that you want to bring back to this team, in 2022, there's no way you can bring them back their current cap hit, at, at least right now. There's just no, th- there's no way unless OBJ can somehow have the best season of his career and Jarvis Landry ends up having 1,300 yards himself. I, I still don't know how you can how you can do it financially because then that's still 30 million to two wide receivers. Not to mention Higgins is still on a one year deal, so yeah. you'd probably be losing him. I, I mean, it, it's really tough. I, I mean, for sure. And fans just don't like 
ever talking about that thought that one or both of them might not be here next year. Well, fans think in one-year increments. Mm-hmm. Andrew Barry has to think five years down the road, right? He has to he has to be playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. And I know that's a cliche, but general managers that's their job. It's not just to look about look now. You make moves you can do now to make the team better, but you don't do so at at the destruction of your long-term future. And that's that's the question mark. And that's how you do because the key word here, prioritization and where, who you believe is going to be your core players moving forward. Who, And when you have Jarvis and OBJ now in their late 20s going in 2022 with that amount of payola <laughs> on, on the books, it's difficult really to work around it. And we've seen year after year, young wide receivers come into this league and produced, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, there's hit and miss guys. Yes, there's Corey Coleman, but the, at the same time, then, then there's also Justin Jefferson. As long as you get somewhere in between those two points, you're doing all right. And that's, and that's <laughs> yeah, why, that's true. Yeah, and and that's why I was always upset. There, and why Cincinnati Bengals absolutely despise me right now, because they prioritized the wide receiver over the tackle. It made no sense to me. How do you want to build your team? That's the question you have to ask yourself at all times. And when you get to the point you're winning and you have to prioritize certain positions over others, which ones are you going to prioritize? And most of the time, it's not going to be wide receiver over the ones we've been talking about. Yeah, I was truly surprised, too, that they took Chase um, over Sewell um, in the draft for sure. I I was really surprised by that. And and it's true, you have to build – um, really with pillars of the offense and wide receivers, one of those positions that it can be replaced uh, pretty easily. And we want to have some fun here just with this last topic. Uh, we've I've been given some bold predictions on Twitter uh, for the Browns. I think that David Njoku will end up being the tight end that the Browns sign long-term, um, and then we'll cut bait with Austin Hooper at the end of the season. I think mm-hmm. Donovan Peoples-Jones ends up becoming the Browns' third wide receiver before the end of the season. And I do agree with Jake. I think Demetrius Felton down the line will be a Kareem Hunt replacement. And so what are some of your bold predictions that you have for the Browns in 2021? All right. This, this one's difficult because <laughs> there's a lot of things that could happen that I'd be surprised, but I would like to see. So, for mm-hmm. example, I would love to see Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. I've already written that he should be the front runner for NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year if mm-hmm. utilized cool. correctly. Now, I'm a little apprehensive when Joe Wood comes out and says, we don't want to put too much on his plate. Damn it, Joe. Let the man play and do all the things he can do. <laughs> don't pigeonhole him at the linebacker. Let him play all over the place. So that was my first bold one is that I think Kormoa, uh, uh, Owusu Kormoa can be NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with just the Browns where they're trending. There's going to be a lot of emphasis on that defense this year and a lot of eyeballs on that team and watching him specifically. I mentioned Nick Harris, and I will bring this up for two reasons. One, when he was drafted last year, I thought he was the best system fit of the entire class. I really do. I think he's the future at center. Two, I know for a fact that J.C. Treader's knees are not good. So I could see Nick Harris being a starter by the end of the year. That's something that is definitely – uh, I, I think would be in play. That's probably way out there for some people, but it's a way I, I see could potentially developing. And I agree on Felton. Uh, I think someone like Felton isn't just a player 
that you want as a third down back. You want the ball in his hands. You want him to create. You want him to slash. You want to give him – he's getting looks potentially in the return game as well. So he could be a big part of this team moving forward as a rookie, even as their last draft pick of the class. So those are just a few kind of off the top of my head. I mean, they're probably not as dramatic except for maybe the, the center, but who wants to mm-hmm. talk about offensive line other than me most of the time? and we can't let you go before you have to it's a very early but you have to give us we asked all our guests a very early schedule prediction for the browns what's it going to be in 2021 (laughs) well i'm waiting to say like 10 and 6 or 11 and 5 because i'm an idiot and i'm not going to be able to adjust to this new damn schedule of 17 games i'll go 12 and 5 and i think they'll lose in the afc championship game to who? Ooh. Who do you think they'll lose to? Is it going to be the Chiefs? Going to be the Bills? I do still think it's the Chiefs. They're the cream of the crop, man. And especially here we go again with the offensive line <laughs> that they built. <laughs> I don't mean to go off topic, and I know we're Brown centric here, but why did Cincinnati fuck up? Well, this is why. <laughs> look, look, up, <laughs> look at the Kansas City Chiefs. What happened to Patrick Mahomes? He got obliterated in the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What did they do in the offseason? They put together a haul along the offensive line, the likes we've never seen before, because they knew you mm-hmm. protect the quarterback. You protect the franchise. Should have gotten more wide receivers. Oh, my God. Oh, more wide receivers so to drop the ball. <laughs> it makes my head hurt so much. Oh, sorry. Oh. That was a bad hand. <laughs> no, you're fine. No, no, you're good. I-, I was surprised when they did revamp the offensive line. Mitchell Schwartz was a guy they didn't bring back. Bad I back. mean, because he's just considered one of the top. Wait, what is it? He has a bad back. Ah, uh, okay. That would explain it then. Yeah, it's, a, Man, it's an I, injury right now. I still regret. I still regret the day we let him go. That's still a very 100%. sad thing. The Sashi Brown debacle, the first of what everyone will call many, even though he helped set up everything we're experiencing now. Listen, we're Sashi Brown apologists on this uh, <laughs> on this on this podcast. We uh, <laughs> we accept we accept that he had to do what he had to do. Yep, yep. Hugh Jackson does it, but Hugh Jackson makes excuses for everything. Yeah. <laughs> Sashi Brown sacrificed himself for this franchise. He, he was, he, he was he the did. sacrificial he lamb. He did. Oh, God. All right. I apologize well, for my phone going off with the X-Men theme from the 1990s animated series. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> I love Unless that. I have to call my wife. Just don't tell her. <laughs> yeah, you're good. You're good. Well, uh, Brent, again, thank you so much uh, for joining us this evening. We want to make sure that we're giving you uh, just a minute to tell, let everyone know just where they can find your content at. Well, always at Bleach Report or on Twitter at Brent Sobleski. See, look, there we go again. Uh, real original, right? See, and I didn't even get to tell you about the beer I was drinking. I think you guys would appreciate it. I heard you crack one earlier. Yeah. It's, it's oh my God. <laughs> You know, I should put it on mute, but I, you know, I'm old and I'm stupid. This is, know, this is just so you know, this is all staying in because Pete, Pete uh, our, our editor, has not co- contacted us. So this, this oh, is great right. content. Seriously, this I'm is half great Polish, content. so it's it's okay, and people understand. I'm drinking a sauce, uh, a saucy brew works from Cleveland, mm-hmm. obviously. They're Hell's Lager, the Municipals, which is dedicated to the Muni. Oh hell yeah. Yeah. See, I I was even in character for this podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love He's dedicated. It. He's dedicated to the bit. <laughs> uh, absolutely awesome. Well, 
Uh, guys, uh, another great show tonight, and can't wait for you guys to be able to hear it. This is great at content, so none of it's going to be cut out because <laughs> this is this is what you need to hear. It's not necessarily what you want to hear. It's what you need to hear, obviously. <laughs> and so be sure just to listen. Be sure to listen to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and just give us that five-star review. Working hard uh, to get you guys really just on board with the Browns content we're providing you with every week. And we want to make sure you're following our new Instagram page. We've uh, been putting a lot more posts out on there, trying to get you guys more engaged on Instagram. And also like our new Facebook page. And remember, guys, on Twitter – at FD Podcast CLE. We're getting or close to about 300 followers away from giving you guys away a new Brown jersey at 2,000 followers. So be sure to let your friends and family know. And guys, we're the Feeling Dangerous Podcast, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in. Now what if I told you my city was the best and my city was a threat to the rest? My city was a threat to the rest. Cleveland is my city, and I love it. Yeah, I love it. I was born in Lindsay. I got it made. And if I have my way, I'm gonna stay. James Conner in the backfield on the right side of Big Ben. Motion by the tight end. McDonald down the line, left to right. And the snap goes high over the head of Big Ben. All the way back to the two, to the one. And the Browns have it in the end zone. And they dive on the ball and recover it for a touchdown. Carl Joseph's got it in the end zone. A touchdown. Not a bad start. 6 nothing Browns. Marquise Bouncy just sailed the ball over the head of Big Ben, who looked at James Conner. They raced back. Towards inside the five-yard line, it went into the end zone. B.J. Goodson and Carl Joseph were over there, and Joseph recovers it. Field under center on first down and 10. Takes the ball, gives it. Hunt runs. He's to the 10. He's to the 5. He buries that shoulder and drives in for a touchdown. Kareem Hunt. And the Browns lead 20 to nothing. You're on Cleveland bound. That's my town where they show you love it. They seen you around. All of my dogs up in the dog pound. Man, I love my tribe, my calves, my Browns. That's my heart. That's my soul.